0: Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. So when Josh asked me to speak a couple weeks ago, um, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I've already taken my four-week or five-week sabbatical since I spoke uh, last in December. It's about time for me to come back up. Um, And he sent me Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible a lot of times, and especially when, and when Josh sent me this, um, I just kind of skimmed over it, and I was like, this is not a lot to go on. Uh, like I, I started thinking, like, what am I going to really talk through on this? This seems like Paul just, like, is kind of finishing his speech of what he had started about how to live a life of humility and how to um, humble yourself and how we should be of one mind. And then he goes into this kind of, you know, typical Paul thing where he just starts talking about something that's kind of different, right? He's like saying all these things we should do, and then he goes and says, has this mind. And he goes into what a lot of people believe is a hymn. It's called the Hymn of Christ, is what a lot of scholars call this. And I looking over it at first glance, I was like, there's not a lot of points of like direction here of like what I should be, how can I break this down? How can I make this, you know, applicable to our lives, and how can we apply it, right? How can I break this down? And as I've thought through this, as I've looked through this, it's becoming more and more apparent that this is like so much in one, in five or six, seven verses, and it's so important, and I'm so excited to get to talk on it. Me and Josh met up last week, and I think his plans had got canceled, that he was supposed to go somewhere this weekend, and then he was really mad that he'd given me this, uh, this to, to preach on, you know, and and. It seems like this is something that should be easy to speak on because it's straightforward. We're going to go right through it, um, but sometimes that can be the hardest, right? That I, you know, so I, I pray that I'm not going to uh, add anything or take away of anything from it. But I want to break in, get down into it. Um, but there's a difference. I want to separate first. There's a difference in being humbled um, and humbling yourself. You know, has anyone ever been humbled? Um, you know, we live in Colorado. We live in In Denver. So I'm assuming a a great many of us have skied before. Um, I originally am from Mississippi, so there's not a lot of ski mountains in Mississippi. If you don't know uh, geography very well, it's pretty hot all the time. Uh, We never have snow. I think our largest mountain uh, is a hill that's like 800 feet above sea level. So um, it's a pretty impressive thing to go see, right? Um, But I luckily have gotten to go skiing, you know, a handful of times in my life before coming here. Um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, I'm kind of crowded right here. I'm, maybe I need to scoot over. I, I don't know what it is. If it's just me being a man, it's me being competitive or me being whatever it is. But every time I go skiing, you know, I always think I got to go to the top. I got to get to the top. Right. So I get on the ski mount and, and also like, have you ever been on a ski mount and how they name their ski slopes? Like, I always start with like a green, right? And it's called like rainbow road. You know, it's just this pleasant time. It's like flat half time. Like skiing is so easy. And then you get on a blue and it's called like vanilla ice cream lane or something. You're like, oh, this is not too bad either. Like, of course I can do a black or black diamond. Ever, you know, you're with your friends who maybe have skied before and you're like, Yeah, we can accomplish this. This is like this is not bad. And then you and there's no like way of seeing the black until you get up to the black diamond right like it's like just this thing this mythical thing you like look at it on a map you know when they show the ski slopes it looks exact same as the other ones you're like it's just a little bit longer and you take the ski lift up and then you pass the blue you pass the green you're still going up and then that fear starts coming You're like what's happening right now we still going higher and you get there and like the 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 slope is called like you're gonna die like that's like literally the name of this slope at least that's what I, I saw when I was on top of this mountain and I remember a specific time just literally happened we were you know us living in the south we don't really can venture to Colorado very much because it's like 45 hours away so we kind of do East Coast skiing which gets looked down upon when you're from the West but hey we, we do what we can do and uh, so up in Massachusetts we went skiing not Massachusetts but Virginia and we go up me and my brother we go to the top of of this black diamond mountain or this black diamond slope and from my recollection it was called you know you're gonna die and that's how we felt and it was not one of those blacks that you're like oh it kind of eases into it gets deep it was like you get off the lift you take a left and it was like a sheer drop it was like 10 feet of this nothing like and you got to find your way down and we had gotten to a point so bad where i was like stepping my way down sideways on this mountain trying to get down right and you know halfway down, stepping down this, I'm standing on like 90 degree angle, it felt like I just said, I got to go for it. And so I just turn, go straight. I hit the little moguls or mumps, whatever you call those things. And moguls are another thing that gives you kind of a false hope. You kind of hit one and you kind of hit another one. You're like, hey, this is not bad. But then you realize you're looking straight down and you don't see the one that's coming like right in front of you. And so like I'm looking down and then I'm just like in the air for what felt like three minutes until like the worst wipeout of my life. And uh, every time I feel like I go skiing, I get humbled of my skill of skiing. I think I can handle it. I think I can take it, and that is just not true. You know, some of you are probably like skiing's easy. I've done it my whole life, but for a Mississippi boy, it is not the easiest thing in the world. So, and I'm six five, lanky. just never nothing goes well to that. So, but today we're talking about humility or humbling yourself, not being humbled by something, um, but. We're talking about and we're going to look at really these characteristics of Christ. Paul is going into this hymnal, into this hymn of Christ um, that really is to exemplify what Jesus did, who Jesus is, how important it is what he did um, for us and the amount of humility and how he humbled himself to do that. And, you know, even as Paul writes this book, his background, I'm sure Josh has given over the past weeks, you know, Paul's in prison as he writes this. So, even as he's writing this letter, it's got to be humbling to himself that, like, he's not even in control of his own life. I mean, he's in prison, probably writing this almost as a reminder to himself that God is in control and that Jesus humbled himself to it an extent that's hard for us to even comprehend. And so, um, let's get into it. You know, I probably will take, I have about three main points, like, Eight characteristics of Christ, so it's only going to be like three hours, and uh, we'll be out of here. Um, So as we start, number one is Jesus is omniscient and omniscient. So he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And we need to grasp the fact that Jesus was with God and is God. So in verse 5 and 6, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So in other words, have the same attitude that Jesus did. Who, verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Before we can even start to comprehend what Jesus did for us on the cross, what he did for us in his life, we have to understand that Jesus was God. Jesus was in the form, another version calls it, in the having the same nature of God. So he was with God before he came to earth. You have to see it as Jesus gave up the, the equality of God he, where it wasn't even thinking he could be grasped, grasped. So we have to understand that before we even get into the, the craziness of him coming to save for us and die for us, it was that he was 100% God before then. And it's, it's a form of God coming down to make himself a servant, to empty himself to be a man. So when we look at this, we have to understand that God was always there. In John, excuse me, in John chapter one, verses one through three, it it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then we skip down to verse 14. So John chapter one, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son of God. From the Father, full of grace. You see, Jesus was God. He was with God in the creation. He was a part of God, and He gave that up to come into the form of flesh, the form of man, to live this life on earth. So before we can even comprehend the gratitude and the magnitude of what Jesus did for us, we have to understand that He was fully God before He became man. And he was 100% God. And and so Jesus has always existed with God. And Jesus is equal to God because he is God. It moves me to the next point. Number two. Jesus' servanthood was authentic in both reality and substance. Verse 7 says, it continues from verse 6, But he emptied himself... By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Though Jesus is God, he became man in order to fulfill God's plan of salvation. I love the word that says he emptied himself. You have Jesus who is the word, the word becomes flesh, he is with God, and he empties this all out of him. He, he doesn't even take it to, as a thing that could be grasped. He, he, it's this whole mindset that this is not even something that I can grasp. This is not even something that I would even try to think on because I have to empty myself completely to understand and be the form of man, to be a form of a servant. Um, and, and when we understand that not only was Jesus fully God, but he had to empty himself to become a man, that in itself is crazy. Just the fact that he would give up the statue and the power of being God to come and to live a life equal to us in a sense of being a man in the full form of a man. And in the next point it says, Christ did not just have the appearance of man, but became human to identify with our sins. This is where it gets hard for me to grasp. I don't know about you, but it really gets hard for me to understand how Jesus, who's 100% God... So he knows all, he's all powerful, right? When he gives this up, he's not just coming into a former man, but he is having every feeling that we have. Our stress, our anxiety, our fear, the pain, he feels it all. When he, when he gives this up and when he comes down to live as a man, he is facing the same type of things we face in, in our everyday lives, Right? In Matthew 26, verse 38 and 39, I think we have it to go on the screen. Sorry, Josh, I don't know how in the world you do things with these little bitty pebbles at the end of this thing. I mean, I'm on the verge of dropping everything every minute while I'm up here. So if I make it through without dropping anything, I'm I'm taking it as a win. I don't care what happens. So this is insane. You you guys don't realize how hard this is to balance things up here. I don't know how he does it. He must not have anything up here. He's just everything off the dome. Um, So anyways, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 26. So right now, Jesus is essentially in the garden with uh, his disciples. He takes two of his disciples with him, and he is praying to God. This is right before he is taken um, into custody, taken to be imprisoned, tortured, beaten, and then killed so jesus knows this is going to happen and you know i think it sometimes it might be easiest for us to think like oh it's jesus he knows all is going to be right he's not really afraid that he's about to be tortured and beaten and fill all the burden of our sins and our salvation on him to die he knows all he's all powerful this is not that big of a deal to him but I would like to prove you wrong um, so to show that I'm right, and that sees I need to be humble myself, right? Um, So Matthew 26, verse 38 and 39 says, And then he said to them, this is Jesus talking, My soul is very sorrowful. Another version says, Intensely sorrowful. Even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is one of the moments that you get to really see into like how Jesus is feeling. How his personal relationship with his Father, with God is, and how the anxiety, the fear, his soul is sorrowful of what is to come. It's the, the Greek words used here that they they use in reference when they when they translate it. The Greek words used here refer to intense grief and anguish, and the phrase even to death refers to sorrow so powerful it almost kills. I know that you know everyone goes through tribulations in life, and we've had those moments where we feel like we just would like are so. And, and when I first read this, I, I read it as you know. Jesus is so there's so much sorrow and grief and anguish of Jesus he would just wants to die. But that's not the fact. It's it's that there's so much sorrow and anguish it almost kills him. It's the fact that he knows what's coming and all of him inside of him knows what's coming. He knows the pain that's coming and knows it. And he's like if there's any way, if there's any other way, God, let it be let it be done. But if this is the way and this is your will, I will do it. No, I mean, to the magnitude that what we first talked about, this is God, the creator. This is 100% God who emptied himself, gave up all he had to become a form of a servant, to become a form of a human, and would, it, would experience this himself. Like, we take it for what it's worth now. and We take it, I feel like, for granted so many days. Jesus could have came down as a superhero, Would we have seen it any different? Like he could have came down. He could have saved the world as this crazy king of king, powerful, conquered the world, whether he had super laser beams coming out of his eyes or was just crazy powerful. He could have never suffered. He could have never died. He could have ascended to heaven when he was finished conquering the world. And he could have saved us by that way if God had willed it. There is a reason that God and Jesus, they chose to live a life of humility, to live a life of a servanthood. That, the, that at the moment that Jesus was at his lowest, at being brought down and emptied himself to the lowest point. That God was doing the most amazing thing that's ever been done in history and that ever will be done. At the point that Jesus gave up himself, came down, died on the cross. At his When he humbled himself. Lived the life to the, the peak of humility of ever in mankind, was the most powerful and impactful thing that will ever happen in this world. And that in itself is just mind-blowing. That that God, the Creator, Jesus, was who was there and everything was created through Him, through the Word, the Word became flesh. He came to be a man, a human. He came to experience what we experience and then brought it into fruition. So, Luckily, the story does not stop there. Um, And and another part of it that just kind of blows my mind is Jesus, like they say, is roughly around 33 years old or or so, like around that range. Um, When when, you know, he starts his ministry, I think like this is getting Josh is going to correct me because I'm not a scholar here. But, you know, he starts his ministry around like the 30 ish age. He, he, He ministers in the Bible for like it's like three years of his lives, essentially. Do we know anything about the, the time before that? Very little, right? We, we, there's obviously this huge impact for the birth of Jesus coming into the world. There's some small stories that we have in the, in the Bible that about Jesus when he's younger. but for the most part Jesus just lived as a carpenter and I think even then we're like, oh yeah, it's cool like he lived as a carpenter. This is the crea- this is Jesus who came down and half of like like 90% of his life we don't even know about if I'm, good thing I'm not, if I'm, you know, if I'm Jesus, and I'm like, all right, I'm about to do this huge thing for all of mankind, I want every second written down, right, I want them to know when I aced that test, when I learned how to build this bench better than anyone's built a bench before in their life, and I built it faster too, right, at the age of nine, I'm beating my carpenter dad or whatever, like, in, in, in woodworking, like, none of this I'm going to say this in a certain way and hopefully none of this mattered to the point of what God's mission and plan was. God's whole purpose, Jesus' whole purpose in this was his ministry and when he humbled himself to come to to, to death. It's hard for me to grasp because I know me and I'm like, I want everything recorded. I want everything. I mean, 30 years or so, wasn't we don't know much about what Jesus was doing as far as from, from the word. And so that in itself is just crazy. I mean, his story could have been completely different. He could have been just this crazy, powerful person. And, and he's the only person to ever have the chance and to ever deserve rights and his rights. And he chose to waive them. He chose to waive his rights of being a king, of being the create Jesus. and And he waived all that. He waved it all. It's hard for me to grasp this. It's hard for me to put this around and get this in my head. And, and and I don't know how you feel about it, but the more I've read this, the more it just it's harder for me to realize. And it's crazy to realize what Jesus did for us. The next thing is God exalted Jesus for his humility and obedience. Verse 9 and 10. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God glorified Jesus because of His obedience. God raised Jesus to His right hand where He will sit forever. We see this kind of circle here where jesus was with god he empties himself humbles himself to a point of death of completely following through in a hundred percent obedience i'm not the most obedient person you can ask my dad you can probably ask my mom if you talk to God and he told you personal things about me, he would definitely reiterate that I'm not the most obedient person when it comes to God giving me things. Jesus set the example of 100% obedience. Even in His the hardest moment when he's almost being killed by so much anxiety and grief, he says, take this cup from me, but if it's your will, it will be done. There's no question in his obedience in that statement. There's no like, hey, God. I don't want to do this. I'm probably not going to do this. I don't think I do this. It's I don't want to do this, but it will be done if you will it. And because of that obedience, God exalts him, brings him back to his right hand where he will sit and he will judge and he will be the right hand of God. He emptied himself out of obedience to God for our salvation. When I think about this, it literally crushes me. When I was going through this and studying this this week and last week. It was crushing me to think that this was in obedience to God, but it was for our salvation. It was for you and me. The reason he humbled himself, the reason he had to go through this pain, through this suffering, is so that we even had the opportunity, we had the connection to be able to to live with God and to be able to, to be embraced and to go to heaven. It's not possible without this happening. When, when Josh asked me to, to teach on this, I was like, okay, this is like a small expert, you know, in and, and, uh, Philippians, Paul's talking, but this is the gospel. This six, seven verses that, that Paul is writing here, he has given like an abbreviated, super direct, beautifully poem of what the gospel is. The God of the universe, the author of life, the creator of everything, Jesus, the savior of the world, the king of kings. He humbled himself to a point of suffering and death so that we might be saved. And I don't know how that makes you feel. I don't know what's going on through your mind right now. But I'm going to give you a chance to express how maybe that feels to you. I think sometimes in my own life, I know that I take talking to God for granted. I'll just be praying to Him and just walking around or just kind of talking. And rarely do I sometimes actually physically humble myself so that I can mentally get into a humble state. The times that I have done that when I am truly taking the time out and I you know, get on my knees or I I separate myself from everything where I'm physically doing something can help us mentally get into a state. And so, I don't know how you feel about Jesus. I don't know if you're still figuring this thing out. And so, I want you to be authentic to yourself. I don't want you, I want you to be genuine. I want you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, like it's not something that you are doing that uh, in obedience or in honor to God. So, I'm not trying to ask you to do anything crazy there. But what I am inviting all of us to do is to physically humble ourselves as we go into prayer today. I'm going to get on my knees because that's a way for me to humble myself. I'm going to invite you, if if you can and you want to get on your knees, if you want to stand up and, you know, hold your arms up, where you feel something different? You're doing something in respect to God to separate yourself from just sitting down like we've been doing. You're probably tired because you're sitting in these cushioned seats. But I'm I'm going to invite you. So I'm going to give us 10 seconds to kind of figure out what you want to do. Uh, I'm going to get on my knees. We're going to pray and close here. Um, and, And the band's going to come up. So. Uh, Take the time now. If you want to get on your knees, if you want to put your hands up, if you don't want to do anything, that's fine. But I'm inviting us to do that um, now. God, has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who You are, for Your sacrifice, for Your humility, for Your example of what it means to be a servant. Something that we can't even grasp sometimes, God, but that we hold and cherish to our hearts of what you've done for us, God. God, I pray as we we come to you in a humble state and humility that this would be a reminder that we're not in control and that you are in control. That every time we talk to you, we should be coming in our lowest form of humility because of how great and how powerful you are. But God, we do thank you for your grace, your grace and your love for us, God. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.